This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. So a friend to all is a friend to none. I ask you tonight, what is an enemy to all? What's the dude who no one can stand? How do we classify him? We will discuss it tonight. It is Late Kick Live. It is Sunday, June 18th, the year of our Lord, 2023. We're jam-packed. High atop a radiant and tourist-filled downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Some of you, I have it on good authority, don't really care for Jimbo Fisher. Taking you to Pate State science class tonight, because as we know, science is undefeated on this show, and we ran a good old-fashioned experiment over the past 6 to 12 hours. The results forthcoming. What ifs? We're talking about them tonight. Bold predictions. We're talking about them tonight. Uh, we have got... We got some things happening in Gainesville, Florida. I'm not quite sure what they are, although my, my dutiful friends over on Swamp 24-7 on the message board have informed me the direction I should go with tonight's show. Let's see if I follow their lead. All that plus, we haven't done consecutive shows in Nashville, it seems like, in about a year, so we're, we're back from the West Coast. We responsibly took a red eye Thursday night, so we get here to play softball Friday. Even Jesse showed up. Like, what a holiday that was. And so I've got some nuggets. I've got some takeaways from Elite 11. Not the way Ivans or Cooper or Will Fong or anyone saw it. The way I saw it. Now, I'm not on the rankings council. So I'm free to say whatever it is I want to out here. I got a guy, for instance, that shined to me as bright as anyone there. And uh, it wasn't the Elite 11 finals MVP necessarily. It wasn't a five-star rated player necessarily. So, yeah, I mean, we're going, we're going to strip it down tonight. We're going behind the scenes. We're going to peel back the curtain a little bit. Pueblo, Colorado, they're tuned in tonight. Thank you. Pioneer, Ohio, Round Rock, Texas, Camilla, Georgia, they're all watching. I need a few generals out there. You know, if you call yourself a leader and you listen to the show or watch the show, I would already argue you've made it. Thank you. But if you want to go above and beyond, I need a few people to sort of grab the flag, a la Mel Gibson and the Patriot, and I need you to run up to the top of the hill. And by that, I mean I need you to get this channel to 200,000 subscribers by kickoff 2023 by any means necessary. You've heard of the paper pop. That's the paper slam. That's the challenge. And I welcome any and all participants that feel like they measure up. And when I say by any means necessary, I almost mean by any means necessary. Not quite, but almost. So we got a lot of different directions to go with the show tonight. I will waste no more time. Because the last show, we did like an hour and a half. And um, I'm not sorry. I'm just saying it happened. So let's dive into the show tonight. College football what-ifs are quickly becoming the most popular segment on this show. And that is simply us looking at some things that could happen. Maybe they're not predicted to happen, but they could happen. And if they do, whew, the reverberations would be felt far and wide. And the first one tonight 
And producer Jesse and I were mining through some of your tweets, and we got a lot of ideas from you. The first one comes from Nathan. Listen to this. If you're listening on podcast up there in Madison, Wisconsin, or Lincoln, Nebraska, listen to this one. Nathan says, hey, what if someone besides Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State wins the Big Ten? Any chance we see that in the near future, especially with conference eliminating the divisions? Well, the big three that he mentioned there, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, they have won seven straight. They are the big three for a reason. They are the favorites, obviously, in that order, I believe. Let me, let me backtrack, because they still have divisions up there. If you shuffled everything like they're going to do next year and beyond, these would be the clear three slam-dunk favorites in some order or another to win the conference. As it stands, they're all in the same division, and so... We're going to do away with that after this upcoming season. But the way that I figure this is one of two things have to happen for someone other than Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State to win the Big Ten. Either somebody just comes out of nowhere and wins the Big Ten East, and that is unlikely. That would be your Maryland's or your Michigan State's. Not impossible, highly unlikely, highly unlikely. So either that happens or someone just pulls a mild to moderate upset in the Big Ten Championship game. Now, what I want to do is, I want to remind you, Wisconsin is currently favored to win the West. So they're favored to be there. What that means in the Big Ten West, I don't really know, but let's just play it out for argument's sake. Let's say that the odds makers are right, and let's say Wisconsin, with a preseason over-under win total of 8.5, let's say Luke Fickle and the Badgers, they arrive in Indianapolis, they're playing whomstever. Could be Ohio State, could be Michigan, whatever the case may be. I can tell you right now what kind of upset it would be. And I can tell you that because Ohio State goes to Wisconsin this year. And uh, due to our crack stats and info department, I've been informed Ohio State is a 10-point favorite on the road at Wisconsin. Now, Ohio State and Michigan have about the same odds. They would be favored by about the same amount against Wisconsin wherever they played. So using simple mathematics... We just add three points that Wisconsin gets for that home field advantage if those two teams were to meet in Indianapolis, and we find out that Ohio State would be about a 13 or a 14-point favorite against the Badgers, so would Michigan, if they played in the Big Ten Championship game as it stands right now. That's all we have to go on. Like Christopher Walken said in Wedding Crashers, we have no way of knowing what the future holds. You just have to make the best decisions given the facts at hand. How big of an upset would that be? The answer is pretty big. Not monumental, not some catastrophic upset. So yeah, if, if this were to be a what if that happens, if a Wisconsin or an, like imagine if Iowa just won the Big Ten. If that happened, it would be a big shakeup and think about what it would do to the college football playoff picture, not even knowing what the rest of the country has in store. Think about what that would do. Think about also what it would mean for the coaching market up there. If someone else wins the Big Ten, that by default means Ohio State didn't. Maybe they didn't even go to the Big Ten Championship game. So, yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of ramification there if anyone other than the Big Three wins the Big Ten. All right, next up, we go down south for a second, immunity. Edwards said, does Tennessee pick up where they left off and potentially change the balance of the SEC? Interesting word there, balance. I'll tell you why in a second. For Tennessee to make some leap this year, what has to happen? Well, the first thing you need to remember is where they left off. They were 10-2 and two last year, and then 11-2 and two once they won the bowl game. They were 6-1 and one versus top 25 competition. Of course, Director Colin and I were in the house for the earth-shaking 
college football landscape altering upset over Alabama. Uh, the goalpost goes out. I would be lying if I said we did not assist in the carrying of that goalpost. Does that make us Homer? Does that make us homers of Tennessee? No, it just makes us participants of a field storming. We don't get fined. Who cares? And so, yeah, all that happened last year. Well, how are you springboarding from that? The way I see it, the only thing you can do is go 11 and one or better. The way I see it, you can only go to the SEC championship or bust. You probably have to either beat Georgia or, yes, you have to beat Georgia because there is no way they're beating you and then losing two other conference games. Georgia plays Shaw High School at some point on their conference slate this year. So Georgia's not losing two games in conference outside of Tennessee. I am sorry to spoil it for you. That's just the way it is this year, Bruce Hornsby. So making the leap would equal doing some, some things they haven't done up there in a while. But he just mentioned in the question, would it restore balance to the SEC? Well, think about balance here, because we've never truly had it, but we kind of have. So it would not shock you to know that since 1977, we have had six teams win the SEC championship. And those are Bama, Georgia, Florida, LSU, Auburn, and Tennessee. My college-age audience does not believe that the, the caboose on that six-pack, Tennessee, you don't believe that's true, but there was a time in the, well, in many decades, actually, multiple decades, where Tennessee was rattling off SEC championships right up there with the best of them. Tennessee was one of the most feared brands in college football. Going into Neyland Stadium was for everyone what it was for Alabama last year. Remember the lead up to that week? I kept trying to explain the third Saturday in October at mixed up the words there, the third Saturday in October and what it means. And people were calling BS in the live chat. I got slandered in my own live chat. Yeah, I remember. And then it happened. Then all of a sudden people were like, oh, that's what that game's all about, huh? Well, that's what Neyland Stadium used to all be about. That was what it was always like there. And then it kind of waned a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you know, what used to be Rocky Top, Neyland Stadium, all of a sudden people talked about the Swamp more. People talked about Death Valley more. They should have always talked about those places. I'm just saying Neyland Stadium kind of got shuffled to the back of the pack. Well, if this happens, um, you would have obviously the Tennessee brand reemerge at the forefront and Neyland Stadium would ascend to its rightful place right there atop the three or four way tie at the head of the SEC for bragging rights of best home field advantage. So, yeah. They make a leap. That's great. They got an uphill battle to do it. Not because I expect some massive drop off from Tennessee, but it's hard to do what they did last year. It's very hard to do that. Next up, let's go to Manhattan, Kansas, the little apple, as they call it. What if Kansas State is better than last season? Oh, look, a spoiler. They will be. I don't appreciate when you guys just ruin the season for me by telling me what's going to happen. You know that. Spoken to you about that before. But if you must, here we go. Kansas State. So they're going to be better, says Case Statriot. They're going to be better this year. Well, they were 10-4 and four last year. That was the first 10-win season there since 2012. Need I remind you? Yes, I do. They won the Big 12 last year. Not the team that went to the national championship game, TCU. That is not the team that won the Big 12. I am already convinced that a majority of college football fans have misremembered history and they just have TCU as the Big 12 champ for 2022. Nope, that's not, hap that's not what happened at all. So if this does happen, well, the first thing it would do is it would 
It would probably insert them into the Big 12 championship game. If they won it last year and they're better, I think uh, we have to deduct from that 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 maybe they got a really good shot at winning it this year. If that happens, hey, how about the slam dunk on the face of Texas and OU on the way out the conference door if it goes down that way? It's great for Kansas State because, well, they have another good year. And also, they are positioning, like everyone else is out there, for a post-Sooner Longhorn world in the Big 12 they would be sort of the big dog on the block, would they not? That would be back-to-back conference titles. Uh, Chris Kleiman, by the way, if you take out that COVID year, his last three years have been eight wins, eight wins, ten wins. And they are not a recruiting powerhouse. In fact, three of their last four classes, they finished outside the top 50. This last cycle, they finished 32nd. Like, that's far and away the best class they've had. And yet... You know, I got to see him up close against Oklahoma State last year. That was just a bloodbath. That was a splattering. There was just a cowboy all over the place. And um, they were really good all year. So if they're going to be better, like I said with Tennessee, it's not impossible. That's a tall hill to climb, though. And lastly, in the what-if department for this evening, what if, uh, what if Colorado's transfers live up to the hype? That's from Peter. The hype is substantial around Colorado, specifically because of all the transfers. Their over-under win totals three and a half. So anyone out there who tells you if they win five games and miss out on a bowl that it was a bust of a season, they're wrong. I heard Dion talking the other day. I have heard what he said about his expectation level for year one. Uh, his expectation level should be that. A reasonable person who has to bet money one way or the other. Someone forced you. Someone breaks down your door right now. They're not there to kidnap you. They're not there to steal any of your prized possessions. It's one of those weird deals where they are breaking and entering only to force your hand on betting the Colorado over-under win total this year. Whomst amongst us hasn't been there a time or two. You have to make a decision based on the information at hand. And if that over-under win total is three and a half, I don't think any one of you saying, oh, give me the over. They're winning nine games. They don't have to. But if these players, if this transfer class lives up to the hype, they will hit that over. Uh, Because that hype, like I said, it's pretty substantial. That balloon keeps getting bigger and bigger. We're not even to media days yet. And so it would probably mean Shador Sanders had had a breakout year at quarterback. It would probably mean they stayed healthy too, like really healthy. Travis Hunter uh, probably has the breakout year to end all breakout years in the Pac-12. Whoever the Pac-12 player of the year is, outside maybe like Caleb Williams or Michael Penix or someone, is probably on the Colorado roster. It would also make a lot of college football rethink their theories and philosophies behind team building. Because as I told you about a month ago, and as I'll tell you again now and continue to tell you, a lot of coaches don't think this is going to work. A lot of coaches are looking at it. I'm not going to say they're rooting for it to crash and burn, although I think some of them are rooting for it to crash and burn. But at the very least, a lot of them are skeptically looking at Boulder, Colorado, saying there's no way that's going to work. I don't know what to believe. You'll notice when we've talked about Colorado on the show, I have shied away from making any kind of bold proclamation. I like Deion Sanders a lot, but that's not a bold proclamation. He could succeed there. He could fail there. I'm in the wait and see category. Mima always told me one of the best skills you could have as a man is saying, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen at Colorado. I know they think they know out there. But if I will tell you this, if you were to spoil the ending for me in this what if scenario and you tell me that transfer portal class is going to live up to the hype, 
then I would lean the way of Deion Sanders when it comes to predictions for this year. The what-if game is going swimmingly. I mean, that thing is delivering for us and delivering in a big way. Because look, here's what would happen. What would happen is I would text Jesse Sunday morning, uh, give him time to wake up, so about 5.30 or 6 a.m. Jesse, what are we talking about on tonight's show? And then he would give me his suggestions. I would ignore them and go with what I wanted to go with anyway. I just wanted him to feel heard. But sometimes even I wouldn't have a good idea. But now you guys have come to the rescue and we got all kind of what ifs and just like an endless supply of content. In June, no less. Whom's to have thunk it? I have a little update for you. These trips we've taken to Penn State and Miami have gone way, way better, candidly, than anyone here thought they would. Okay, when we brought that Pate State Speaker Series idea, well, actually, when you brought it to me and I got it approved by management, and what an ordeal that was, when I got it approved by management, I think the expectations were low, which is understandable because conceptually we had never done anything like that. So what I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to get extended sit-downs with head coaches. I wanted to have a live show emanate from the campus of wherever we go. And any other access we get, that's great. Need to work out in your weight room. That's a little personal requirement. You guys didn't ask for that, but I'll pretend you did if it gets it approved. We went to Penn State, and those folks welcomed us with open arms. They opened the door. They showed what could happen. This last trip to Miami, they blew it out in every way imaginable, and a lot of folks saw it. So what I'm going to tell you, because everyone now keeps asking me where we're going next, is we are choosing where we go next because we have a bunch of folks reaching out from a bunch of different programs asking if we can come. What's funny is there's one that turned us down. There was one place I wanted to go that turned us down. And I have it, I, I have a pretty good hunch that uh, the university that turned us down probably didn't take the idea to their head coach. Someone in the administrative branch probably just turned it down without really running it up the flagpole, but that's okay because we have many, many choices out there. So I'm saying all that to say, I think we'll have an announcement coming up next couple of weeks. I want to do it right. It's a major program. It's one we talk about a lot on the show, and I am very much looking forward to this one. We got to get some T's crossed and I's dotted, but that's you guys at work again. So just wanted to tell you, I appreciate it. And the gears are already turning for our next trip. And also, you know, I don't know why you wouldn't be following on the socials at Late Kick Josh, but if you haven't already committed to doing that, which is free of charge, our, our team, our digital media team, put together a behind-the-scenes reel just like of stuff you didn't see in those interviews. You, we got the Tyler Van Dyke interview, the, the Shannon Dawson interview. We got those uploaded on the YouTube channel now. You saw the Mario Cristobal long form. You saw all that. You saw the show. You didn't see the behind-the-scenes, the travel, what it takes to put one of those together. Well, you can because um, our social team followed me down there. They flew down there with me from Nashville. And so it's just a, a great behind-the-scenes look that I think uh, is well worth a minute to a minute and a half of your time. All right, let's move on. I got to take a moment to, to pull the shades down a little bit because it's about to get serious. We have a very somber tone. Got to stack the papers. Just go ahead and pop a paper. Colin, none of this is going in the segment, so just hold on. <clears throat> Here's your end point. As you guys know, we are a show based on facts and data and science. The Pate State Science Department is undefeated. And so recently, for instance, we used science to conclude such things as Ohio State's going to win the national championship by looking at 2024 mock drafts. 
it gets no more scientific than that. Uh, believe it or not, some people actually thought I was serious about that. So if you think I'm serious about that, you deserve every bit of ridicule you get in the comment section. Anyway, we went back in the lab today, and it has to do with Jimbo Fisher, and it has to do with Texas A&M. A lot of folks don't like this guy. I have come to realize a lot of folks don't like Jimbo Fisher. Where do I stand on this? A lot of you thought I was carrying water for Dabo Swinney the other day, even though I criticized multiple things about him. Sometimes I believe people don't watch the videos and they just comment. I don't know where that comes from. I just have a crazy hunch about that. Anyway, I hop on Twitter today. Again, science, because I had, look, I had a hypothesis. We all know the scientific method. I tested it with an experiment. Just put out the tweet. The tweet was very simple, and it asked the following question. What is your opinion of Jimbo Fisher? Next thing we have to do, we have to analyze the data, and then we report our conclusion. And the conclusion, Colin, I could have used a drum roll here, but that's okay, is um, Jimbo Fisher's just not very well liked in the college football public. Gasp. So that's our what. But, but what, about, what about the why? Why is this man not liked? How do I feel about Jimbo Fisher? Strangely, I'm indifferent. And I'm the only person that's indifferent on this planet when it comes to Jimbo Fisher. Remember, we were talking about A&M the other day, and I told you, I think Jimbo Fisher's a really interesting story because there's not, there's not hardly anyone out there who, when they hear his name, says, uh, could take him or leave him. Eh, could go either way on him. Like, you hear Matt Campbell, Iowa State, and... Most of you are either an Iowa State fan or you just say, Matt Campbell, I, I don't know a ton about him, but I don't, I don't dislike him. That is not the case with Jimbo Fisher, friends. Not the case at all. And so what we have here is we have a classic heel scenario. We got like a Bret Hart 1996 Canada versus America sort of thing. Because when you go into College Station, Jimbo Fisher is roundly applauded i.e. Bret Hart in Calgary, but then you go down to like Minneapolis or you go to Des Moines or you go to St. Louis or Little Rock or New Orleans, just working my way down the Mississippi. And he is booed relentlessly. It's a crazy thing. That's Jimbo Fisher right now. And um, the best I could tell in my scientific research here, I, I gathered the following. There were four of the most common refrains in that that tire fire that was that tweet earlier today was number one people think he's in over his head and he's a better offensive coordinator than a ceo which is interesting because he just relinquished play calling duties or so we've been told and i believe he has by the way uh so a lot of folks look and say uh program looks a little discombobulated looks a little bit like a mess Jimbo Fisher, he got 37 play sheets in his hand, but none of them have shown him how to run a successful program in College Station so far. That's feedback bit number one. Feedback bit number two is he's just flat out overrated and he's ineffective. This I get. Jimbo Fisher's paid a lot of money, which was also another common refrain. He's overpaid. A lot of y'all worried about how much money another man's making. I've never understood it, but I get it. I don't have to understand it to get it. So the whole overrated thing is Jimbo Fisher gets talked about a lot. A lot is expected of him because he gets paid a lot. And Texas A&M has not gone to Atlanta. They have not challenged for the college football playoff. Well, they've not made it. They were in the mix uh, at least one of those years. And so people look at that and they say, well, to whomst much is given, much is expected. On the surface, I don't have a problem with that line of thinking, by the way. I've, I've spoken about this many times. 
as long as you as a fan base deliver on your end, it is not unfair at all for you to expect leadership, including your head coach, to deliver on their end. Jimbo Fisher has not done that at a high enough level. So I get that part. If Aggie fans want to feel that way, I get that part. If you're an Arkansas fan or a Missouri fan, doesn't impact you. In fact, I think you guys should be happy about that. Yet when I hear you guys talk about Jimbo, it's like the dude stole your lunch money. No, your lunch money is not paying that 85 some odd million dollar buyout. It's, it's money coming from other places. Anyway, there were also some people out there, and this is where it gets a little personal, who thought he was stubborn and unlikable. Those two words tested very highly with the focus group, apparently. Stubbornness, I get. A resistance to change, I get it. That has been Texas A&M offensively. I get that. Now, here's what I am always careful to do. Uh, Jimbo Fisher will be here in a month, like not, not this actual studio. I mean, we'd open it up to him, but, but he'll be about two blocks down there at the Grand Hyatt. We'll be at SEC Media Days. We will sit down with him. And if I were to say, uh, dear Jimbo, a lot of people think you're stubborn and you resist change. First off, I wouldn't get to finish my statement before he started because that's a hallmark of his, one of his toxic traits, I would say. And so he would start talking, but he would, have, he would have a mile-long list of things he would use to push back on that. Resistant to change, but I've done this, 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 and this. Now, those four things and beyond would be maybe things that aren't visible to the naked eye or naked eye, as he would probably say, but they are things that he has changed. I don't think people technically mean he's never changed anything. I think when they talk about it, it's from more a 50,000-foot level, and Texas A&M hasn't gotten results and yet we look year to year to year, and it doesn't look a whole lot different on the field. That's the kind of resistance to change we're talking about. Uh, this is me now speaking for the tweeters and the people who gave the feedback. So I get that part. I think Jimbo Fisher would have reasons why he hasn't done it the way that you think he should do. And also, he would tell you it's just a lack of execution. Now, that started to wear on me a little bit because he's technically right. It's one of those things when coaches give feedback, they're technically right on. However, as I said last year with Heupel and juxtaposing him to Fisher, Josh Heupel, they had games at Tennessee last year where I guarantee you when he went in the film room the following Sunday and they had just won a game and hung 47 on someone, there were dozens of plays. He would look and say, we didn't execute perfectly on this play. But there was so much wiggle room because of the nature of that offense, they just scored anyway. Jimbo, conversely, is watching on Sunday and he is... He is needing every needle to be threaded. He is needing everything to go perfectly to pick up first downs and to move the ball. And that's what people have gotten tired of. And that's what people look at, including me. I agree with this sentiment in 2023 and ask themselves, why do, we, why do we settle for this? Why would Jimbo Fisher settle for this as his offense when every bit of the sport has been tilted in favor of the offense? You don't need to do it this way anymore. So that was number three. Number four... And this is a harsh accusation, but we have to air it out. Is some of you claim that Jimbo Fisher is living off of Jameis Winston still? What do we mean by that? I think it's pretty obvious, but if you're seven years old, welcome aboard. You're contributing to our key 10 and under demographic. And if you're seven or younger, you don't remember 2013. You don't remember the national championship that Jimbo Fisher won. What? Yes, kids. Jimbo Fisher is a national championship winning head coach. Although a lot of people would say it wasn't so much Jimbo. It was Jameis Winston, to which I would respond. 
are you taking away Kirby's title because of Stetson Bennett? Well, no, they would say, because Stetson didn't carry the team. And so then I would ask, okay, fair enough. Uh, Saban with Mac Jones, or, or actually Saban with a couple of his different quarterbacks. What about Dabo, uh, Deshaun Watson he had there, Trevor Lawrence. Do, do, we, do we apply that backwards logic to anyone else? Jimbo won a title because of a player that he recruited. No, Josh, Damian Craig recruited him. You mean the one who coached for Jimbo, is that right? Yes, yes, okay. So conveniently, you know, if you're trying to make an argument, sometimes if you're anti a coach, all of a sudden he doesn't get credit for what dudes he hired go do and what players he recruited go and do. I don't play that game. So Jimbo Fisher is doing exactly what he should do. Jimbo Fisher won a national championship in 2013, and he's leveraged it as hard as he possibly could. That is no different than what I would do in his case or what you would do in his case. Now, if you look at that and you say, well, it's not me, Josh, it's him, and I don't like him, there's not much I can do about that. After all, it is your opinion. I am just using this platform, humbly and respectfully, to disagree maybe with with that little angle. But the merit of that argument I get a little bit, because what you're saying is, Everyone looks at this guy a certain way, and if I just change that one little thing in history, all of a sudden, no one would look at him with such reverence. Okay, but but the thing did happen, right? The thing did happen. You see, I argue the opposite, and the same folks making this argument about Fisher, if you just change that one thing, everyone would believe he's a bum— They don't want to go down the road with me of, hey, what happens if Ohio State just makes that field goal at the end of the playoff game last year against Georgia? And then they go and body bag TCU like we all know they would have. And you're looking at Ryan Day now, and instead of calling for his job, you have to call him national championship head coach Ryan Day, number one in the Big Ten power ranking head coaches Ryan Day. Why doesn't anyone want to play the inverse of that game has always been my question. You know, if you want to take away one positive thing and look at how it it butterfly affects the rest of someone's career. How about taking away one negative thing? Or we could even play that game in Jimbo Fisher's line of work in his world. We could take away a few negatives that have happened to Jimbo. Self-inflicted though they may have been. What if we did that? So anyway, those are some of the reasons why people claim they don't like Jimbo Fisher. But that sets us up for this. If you believe in the story arc. Some of you out there have, have girlfriends. I get this story all the time. You watch the game because you're a hardcore fan, but your, your biggest quest is to find a way to make your significant other invested somehow in the game so that she is on board with you and, the, and you guys are like working as a team to plan your social lives in the fall and you want to get her on board with shunning fall weddings, which is an admirable quest to be on. And you guys have told me many times before, while I'm watching because I care about the outcome of the game, my wife is watching because she just cares about the stories. Well, if you want a story for her, or if you yourself are into the more storyline-based aspect of college football, we could be setting up for one of the great face turns in the history of college football. Because as far as I can see it, hardly anyone outside of Aggieland likes Jimbo Fisher right now. We would call that a heel. How do you pull the face turn? How does he become a good guy? Here's how it happens. Twofold, at least. Number one, the Bobby Petrino hire has to work out. If the Petrino hire works out and Fisher stays out of the way and he truly does delegate authority and play calling and whatnot in the offense, 
All of a sudden, is leaps and bounds better this year. A&M's right in the thick of the college football playoff race. Come December, if that's the outcome, everyone is praising Jimbo Fisher. Doesn't matter how it actually happened behind the scenes. History books will say Jimbo pulled the lever. He turned the key. He brought Bobby Petrino in. He handpicked him. That was his first choice. That's what the history books will say. And the winners get to write the history books. So if A&M's a winner this year, they'll write the history the way they want it written, and then we will just dutifully disseminate it. So if that happens, imagine how different it feels all of a sudden. Jimbo's seen the light. That's what you'll say in December. Jimbo took him a little while, but he finally came around. Now that they can move the ball effectively down there, now all of a sudden everyone remembers the amount of talent they have. Oh boy, recruiting's not slowing down for them. And then everyone remembers the bottomless amount of resources that AM has. And then here's the second part, and this is key when it comes to a face turn. He has to let his personality show. Jimbo Fisher's got a great personality. It's one of the funniest dudes you could ever be around. He talks probably faster than anybody who has ever come from the state of West Virginia, nay, the entire Eastern time zone. And that includes New York. I would take Jimbo Fisher on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, and he would talk circles around anyone on the floor. He, like, he just defies every stereotype about someone who comes from a small country portion of the United States that he came from. I came from one of those places. I don't talk half as fast as Jimbo does, and people back home say I talk too fast. And I'd say, let me introduce you to my good buddy Jimbo, who hails in College Station, Texas. If those two things happen, if the offense is resurrected and therefore Texas A&M football is resurrected and Jimbo gets credit for it, as he opens up, you know, as he loosens his tie a little bit, as he slows down just enough for you to actually understand the words coming out of his mouth, maybe he lets a reporter finish a question every now and then, smiles a little bit more and just kind of lets you in. He lets you in on the joke. Jimbo Fisher becomes a good guy. And all of a sudden, voila, there you are in 2027. Jimbo signed a brand new multi-year extension. A&M's on top of the world or right there in the thick of it every year. And Jimbo Fisher has gone from public enemy number one to Jimbo's okay to, you know who I kind of like that I used to not be able to stand? Jimbo Fisher. You could be looking at it. Of course, things could mushroom cloud and crash and burn fantastically this year too. That's why it's a story arc. That's why it's a storyline. That's why I think a lot of people will be invested. It was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. I, I didn't plan the show this way, but it's very fitting that I need to talk to you about Academy Sports and Outdoors right now because our close personal reps from Academy, you cut them open. Well, they bleed blue because that's the store colors. But then all of a sudden, some maroon mixes in. Big A&M folks. They love them. I whisper that because I don't want our friends in Austin, Texas to be deterred. You guys have outdoor sporting goods plus needs. You go to Academy Sports and Outdoors. Uh, they're not chocked full of Aggie employees, I can promise you. There's a very diversified work staff there. It's just my contacts, they roll with the Aggies. 
Academy Sports and Outdoors rolls with us. They have for a long time. We appreciate that. It is Father's Day today. We have made it 34 minutes into the show. Shame on me. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, especially one in particular, because look at what Jeff Mobley sent us. On Twitter, if you're listening on podcast, he sent us the following. The fact that my family purchased my Father's Day gift at Academy is proof I'm doing a great job. What more could you want in life? You know, you raise your children, you're just trying to keep them off the street, out of jail, and then all of a sudden, they go and they buy you Father's Day gifts from Academy, and it's, what a proud daddy. We have someone that goes by that very moniker in this office, but Jeff's a proud daddy for a totally different reason than she is. So, Academy Sports and Outdoors making a lot of things possible this Father's Day and beyond. If you can't get there in person, okay, academy.com. Has your hookup. I don't know why, because I've been saying it forever, but all of a sudden people are DMing me like, I'm glad you started to mention the online part because I don't have an academy in my backyard. And then I type out, where have you been? I've been, and then I just backspace, say, thank you, handshake emoji, and we move on. So happy Father's Day to everyone. And, uh, you know, tomorrow the sun will rise. Academy will still be there. And so you're building towards your camping trip. You're building towards a seven-on-seven football tournament. They got you covered from cones to cleats and everything in between. And you guys are free to use that. Uh, Let's move it on. Okay, bold prediction time. We got a loaded show, guys. We're not even close to done. I've got an update on something you guys have been asking for. Uh, That's coming up. (laughs) I have some Elite 11 nuggets to give you. I have a wedding invitation to tell you about. Florida is on fire under Billy Napier. We're going to talk some Notre Dame. Like we had a loaded show. So, yeah, it's June, but it doesn't matter around here because there's no offseason. Bold prediction time. What do you believe about this year that you would bet your money on? Well, we got some boldness tonight, and then we got one that I don't think is bold at all. So a very, very mixed sort of potpourri of boldness in the show this evening. Let's go with the first one, and it takes us to the Big 12 from Oklahoma City. Oklahoma will take the Big 12 championship with us on our way out of the conference and play in the college football playoff. Brent Venables proves the haters wrong. I put an 8.25 on this prediction. So Oklahoma has the second best odds to win the conference. This wouldn't be bold. But remember, they got to win the conference and they got to go to the playoff. Oh, and by the way, they've, they've got to recover from barely making a bowl game last year. So I know their over-under win totals like nine or nine and a half. That's not a guarantee. That's just the number Vegas puts out. So this is almost like a bold prediction slash a what if. You know, we do the what if segment on the show as well. What if Oklahoma wins the Big 12? What if Oklahoma goes to the college football playoff? Think about the turnaround on the national narrative around Brent Venables. We haven't necessarily done the whole what is your opinion on Brent Venables thing yet. There are some folks who have already sold their stock on him. He's barely been in his office a calendar year. And I'm certainly not there yet. There's a lot that remains to be seen, but man, when you're, re- when you're recruiting and portaling inside the top 10, in other words, when you're making sure you have talent and you're nailing it at the quarterback position, I'm not giving up on you after one year, not even close. And I am giving up on Brent Venables, not even close. So that's the whole what if part of it. But the bold prediction here is they just will win the Big 12. They will go to the playoff. It's all about defense. They were 99th last year in points per game allowed. That has to change, obviously. You would think you got the right head coach to try and make that happen. Here's the producer Jesse stat that I keep throwing at you. 
when it comes to odds, when you look at the Big 12 and you line all the teams up and you look at the odds to win the Big 12 championship, Oklahoma's got a really workable schedule by Big 12 standards. They play seven of the eight bottom teams on the odds list. Does that guarantee anything? No, uh, but certainly if you're looking for favorability and your, your way to snake your way to 10 or 11 wins, yeah, that's favorable. Also, remember, everyone's criticizing Georgia for their soft schedule this year. Well, part of the reason Georgia's schedule is a landfill is because the SEC stepped in and made Georgia cancel a game with Oklahoma. Yeah, that happened. Wasn't Georgia's fault. Wasn't Oklahoma's fault. Everyone looks at the Georgia side of that equation. How about Oklahoma's? I take Georgia off this schedule, and all of a sudden, SMU is their toughest out-of-conference game. Now, SMU is not a joke, uh, but SMU is not UGA either. So I make this an 8.25 and no bolder because I think it could happen. It's a tough year one to year two jump, but this is not out of the realm of possibility at all. Oklahoma in the playoff, though. That's why it's an eight and a quarter and not, not seven and a half or seven. Uh, let's go to the Big Ten. Uh, wise from Columbus, Ohio. Just wise. He said both Ohio State and Michigan are 11 and 0 when they meet in the game and they both make the playoff. Notice that second part there, a lot of emphasis. So when's the last time this happened? Last year. If you need case study, if you need to know what this could look like, just go back to last year. Oh, by the way, I think I should say that sentence like this. When is the last time that Michigan and Ohio State faced off undefeated and both went to the playoff? Last year, as predicted on this show. Everyone loved to throw that Iowa State prediction at me from two years ago, knowing full well that was made with heart, not head. But everyone wants to leave out the fact that, yeah, we just flat out called this happening, saw it from 10 miles away. Well, is it going to happen again this year? They both have the same win totals, 10 and a half. Uh, Ohio State now slightly favored to win the Big Ten. That just keeps jostling back and forth. Jesse, look up the word jostling for me. Is it jost? Is there a T in there? <sighs> this is the time of year you want to learn out of the, the bright fall spotlight. So I guess if we're going to take a vocabulary lesson, tonight's the night. Michigan has one opponent with a win total over seven. Bad schedule. Well, good for them. Bad if anyone wants to be entertained by watching Michigan outside of Michigan this year. Uh, that is the trip to Penn State. That's it. That's, uh, that's after the Purdue game. That is the second week, I think, in November. That's the only opponent they have with a preseason win total over seven. Ohio State has four of those teams, and that would be Western Kentucky, believe it or not. Yes, Western Kentucky, Penn State. Uh, they got Wisconsin. They got Notre Dame. The last two are on the road, by the way. So Ohio State's got a tougher road to get there. They're going to be favored. Both of them are going to be favored to do this. They both have top four college football playoff odds. They need some things to fall, though. Not to be undefeated when they play each other. They control that. But for both of them to make the playoff, remember, last year, Tennessee just went and got bodied by South Carolina. If that doesn't happen, Tennessee's probably in the playoff. USC lost the Pac-12 championship game. Caleb Williams is hurt. Utah fans would say that's not what the side of the game. My point is we can't know one way or the other. Uh, but, but USC losing the Pac-12 championship game, that also opened the door for Ohio State to get back in there. If either of those things doesn't happen, Ohio State's out. So you got you to gotta have things go perfectly and some luck 
And in this scenario, you probably need Michigan to win the game because Michigan's got the softer schedule. It's far more likely Ohio State could afford a loss and their strength of schedule like it did last year would still boost them in there. I don't know a Buckeye fan worth his or her salt that even wants to entertain that, though. They just want to win the game. Take care of it that way. Uh, in the Pac-12, bold prediction from DJ. He said Utah will three-peat as Pac-12 champs from Salt Lake City. Producer Jesse, the cam rising of our office, offers the following feedback. We don't know about cam rising. Signed, cam rising. Uh, he's talking about health. I assume he'll be ready to go for fall camp. And that's a bold assumption, but we are nothing if not bold around here. There's like a six-pack of contenders in the Pac-12. And when I mean that, when I say that, I mean, if you look at the odds, or if you just look at it with your own eyes, you know that you got USC, you got Oregon, you got Washington, Utah. And Oregon State and UCLA also round out that top six. And once you get past that, it's a pretty steep drop-off till you get to the pretty much the back half of the conference. So here's the thing about Utah's schedule. Out of all the teams in that top six, Utah is the team that has to play the other five in that top six. So it is not an easy schedule whatsoever. They are 23rd in returning production, which is pretty good, but USC, which figures to be a team they would have to jump over, is 10th. And I am, for that reason, making this prediction an 8.75. The odds are never in Utah's favor. They always defy them. And so this is no different. It's not me doubting them. It's just me understanding in the preseason, I would lean other teams over Utah, which is their existence. And they make fools out of people who say sorts of things like that regularly. And they'll have to do it again because I'm saying 8.75. However, if you want to be entertained... They open against Florida, and they play Baylor, I believe, the very next week. So you got to give two thumbs up for Utah scheduling tough out-of-conference games, knowing they still got to play a really, really tough stretch in conference. Last bold prediction. You tell me how bold you think this is. This is from Austin, Texas. I think Florida State finishes with eight or fewer wins, no ACC championship game. How bold is that? Uh, eight or fewer. I put this at 6.75. Although it's not the way I'm going to predict Florida State season, this is not bold because if you're, if you're doing the whole prediction thing, kind of like if you're an odds maker, if you're setting the over-under win total, which is 8.5 for FSU, you have to take all possible scenarios into account. So there's the one scenario where Jordan Travis and company, they shine all year and, and Florida State's undefeated regular season and they go win the ACC championship game. Yeah, that could happen. But also, there is the flip side. This is sports. It's not scripted. This is real life. And the flip side would probably include things like that blue chip ratio only being at 41% costing Florida State. And that flip side would probably leave you to conclude that all the hype for Florida State was a mirage built on beating Georgia Tech, Miami in a terrible year, Syracuse, Louisiana, Florida in a terrible year, lost to Oklahoma in the bowl game. Uh, like that built the hype bubble for Florida State this year. 
And what is it really based on? I said they lost. They beat they beat Oklahoma in the bowl game. But that that's what the hype bubble's built on. Now, I don't I don't necessarily care about that because you you play who you have in front of you, and you win the games. And I don't care if they were ranked or not. Like you you took care of your business. What I'm saying is, if things go sideways this year and they don't win more than eight games, it probably would be as it turns out. The hype was a little bit of a mirage. And the reason I don't think it's so bold to suggest that is because I've seen it happen a million times before. This would just be a million and one. So am I high on Florida State? Absolutely I am. Do I acknowledge that I could be wrong? Yeah, that's what this whole segment's about. So that's only a 6.75 for me. Florida State going eight and four, for example. Predicting that is not bold. Their over-unders eight and a half, guys. That is not bold at all. Okay, moving on. I've got an update. I don't know why I wasted a whole piece of paper to write two words here. The two words, well, I guess they're three words. So there you go. Let me give myself a little bit of a credit. There is this thing that a lot of you have been asking me about, and I have not responded to any of you, maybe a couple, uh, because I have had to make sure I have my ducks in a row. But they're in a row now. I don't know how Dan Lanning does it up there. It is tough to get ducks in a row, but we got ours in a row now. Um, the late kick store is going to open back up and it's going to be unlike anything you saw last year, probably last year on steroids. I am very excited about what we're going to be able to bring you totally revamped. We shut the whole thing down we burned it to the ground and we rebuilt from the ground up. Going to be pretty good. So I am probably about a month away from giving you the launch date. But the bottom line is, yes, it is going to be back. It will be back well before the season gets underway, and it will be wonderful because we are accepting nothing less this year. Belton, South Carolina is tuned in. Jacksonville, Florida is tuned in. Corpus Christi, Texas is tuned in. Thank you so much. I had a tweet from one of you that asked a question that I didn't expect, but you know what? That's why we do the show. Unexpected questions come my way all the time. Let me take a sip out of the chalice right quick. And let me get to Mr. Guy's tweet. Okay, Colin, here's your end point. Mr. Guy from Benton, Arkansas, he asked, well, he said, you haven't given many opinions on the Elite 11 finals, even though you were out there. Who did you like the most? And he's right. We actually did a live show from the field in Los Angeles last Thursday, and I didn't even talk about the Elite 11 finals, which were kind of happening as we were doing the show, actually a high school team was practicing as we were doing the literal show, but the finals were later that night. I waited a little while because I wanted to see what all the other recruiting services said about the finals. And I wanted to see what our guys, what Ivan said, what Wilt Fong said, Blair and Gula was out, like a bunch of our folks were out there. Cooper, um, and at least I probably left like a bunch of people out. Biggins was out there. So I wanted to read what everyone else said because I had my thoughts. I'll deliver them to you now. So Julian Sayan ended up winning the MVP. Uh, wire to wire, I thought he was probably the best one I saw. That's the Alabama commit. Uh, sat down with us. In fact, all the quarterbacks sat down with us. Wilt Fong and I went one-on-one with every one of them. Talked to Julian Sayan a couple of times. Really good kid. Uh, really well put together. Pretty advanced in terms of accuracy especially. Man, that dude could hit a Coke bottle from like a mile away. It is not surprising to me that Alabama got out ahead of things, did a great evaluation here. He's been committed there for a while. 
I loved what I saw from him. Uh, he won the Alpha Dog Award from us. He won the finals MVP, uh, which he probably wasn't favored to do. But, you know, I, I t- Jesse, I think I told you off the air, I kind of leaned towards him when I was going out there last week. That was just an opinion. So, you know what? Since my opinion off air panned out, let me proceed to give ourselves a ton of credit on air for that. I liked Julian saying, uh, he's a four-star right now. He's from California. Alabama just recruits California quarterbacks now. That's kind of what they do. Um, we'll see what his rating ends up. A fifth star would not surprise me, but I don't know anything. Let me stress that. I have not sat in on the rankings council. In fact, when I sat next to Ivans and Wilt Fong the other day up in the bleachers, they walked down a few rows. Not immediately, but eventually they did. I don't know what they said down there, you know? And, you know, so I tried to get us some dirt. I tried to get us some scoop, and I couldn't get any. So Julian's saying I liked him. Dylan Rayola is the number one player in the country, number one quarterback in the country. He's committed to Georgia. Um, the ball comes out of his hand differently than any player I saw. Some guys have to effort velocity on their throws. If you've ever been around a quarterback, or if you've ever been around a big league pitcher, You've seen what it looks like when guys have what they call easy gas, easy velocity. For some reason, it looks like the ball comes out of their hand twice as fast as it look like, looks like their hand is moving. Uh, Dylan Rayola is that. Did he win the MVP? No, he didn't. Did he win the Alpha Dog Award? Did he win all the other awards all the other companies have? Not necessarily. If I had the JP Top 10... Uh, Dylan Rayola would not be dropping in my rankings. He would not be losing a star in my rankings. He is really good. I saw what the hype was about. He is physically probably developed along the lines of what you would expect a second or third year NFL quarterback to look like. I just mean physically. I'm not talking about his game. He looks like he's about 25 years old. And he is not that. He's still got his senior year in high school to go. So 6'3", 220. He's every bit of that. Skinny ankles. I always check the ankles for you guys. Skinny ankles, big calves, though. And that concludes my physical evaluation of Dylan Rayola. Yeah, uh, Georgia had two of them out there. And they've, they've started to hit on quarterback. And that's probably not good news for the rest of the SEC. However, that wasn't the favorite quarterback I had out there. The favorite quarterback, the quarterback that I liked the most, was a kid by the name of Will Hammond who is committed to Texas Tech, and he was not favored by anyone to win the MVP nor the Alpha Dog Award. But you know what? At Pate State, we have our own awards. And so if we want to name the Pate State Freight of the Week, it was Will Hammond. Loved him. First kid I talked to out there, he was, he was probably, when it comes to the wisdom beyond your years department, if there's one kid who talked like he was 45 years old with a family and a reasonable mortgage and two cars in the driveway and a dog to take care of. It's Will Hammond. Just sounds like he's lived life. Sounds like he could seamlessly explain route concepts or how to balance a checkbook. He could seamlessly change a protection at the line of scrimmage, but also, you know, give you some auto purchase advice. He's just that kind of guy. And I love talking to him. He is also physically pretty advanced. Uh, Joey McGuire and, and company out there in Lubbock, they ought to look very, very much forward 
to the day that guy begins starting games for them at quarterback. Could not say enough good things about Will Hammond. Now, he didn't know this because I am a professional. So when we spoke to him, I kept these feelings to a minimum. But when he was out there on the field, I was talking to Kenny. I was talking to some of our guys out there. I would be lying if I said that we didn't have some friendly wagers riding on the rounds that Will Hammond was taking in his pro day. Um, So, William, you made me a lot of money. I don't know the NIL rules. I don't think I can share any of it with you. See me in three or four years. But yeah, Will Hammond, Pate State material. Love that kid. Aaron Nolan, left-handed kid, committed to Ohio State. He was the other one, much like Hammond, that when he talked, he just sounded older than he is. He didn't look older than he is. In fact, he looks exactly like an Ohio State quarterback would look physically. But from the neck up, I always love to gauge that about guys. And there were none of them that seemed their age, frankly. They were all pretty advanced mentally. Obviously, they're going to be advanced physically. Uh, But Nolan, I didn't get to talk to him a lot on day one. But when we sat down with him on day two, you know, some guys, when you ask them questions, it's like they have a programmed response. They've been coached on how to talk. Nolan's not like that. I'm sure he's been coached, but he's a guy who's really able to articulate his thoughts. He's able to explain things. He kind of thinks and talks like a coach would, honestly, more so than a high school quarterback. And so Ryan Day and and that entire offensive staff up there, Corey Dennis, he credited him a lot, friend of the program, Corey Dennis. He's helped us out a time or two behind us. Let me tell you something about Corey Dennis. Corey Dennis is good people. He doesn't look for any credit, and so I won't publicize it for him. There was, there was a viewer of ours not too long ago that was in need, um, and Corey Dennis came through. So hats off. Love Corey Dennis, quarterback coach up there at Ohio State. And uh, also, that entire staff, when they go and they look, they cast their net, and they're recruiting quarterbacks, and they're recruiting offensive skill. They don't take a backseat to anyone. And so when they decide you're their guy, it carries a lot of weight with me. And it's really obvious when you sit down with Aaron Nolan to understand why Ohio State liked him. So those were some of the names. But I got to tell you something. I know that recruiting rankings is always an inexact science. But you can never convince me that quarterbacks in 1997 sound like these dudes do now. It's impossible. I know they're the same age as they were back then. But the quarterback today is exposed to so much more from like 8th or ninth grade on in many of their cases that by the time you get to being a senior in high school, you've done a 100 interviews, you have taken so many more physical reps, also you've done the 7-on-7 seven seven circuit in all likelihood, so you've exposed yourself to more repetition, you have exposed yourself to more of the world outside just your bedroom and your kitchen table and your classroom at high school and your high school football field than you ever could have a generation ago. More eyeballs have been on you times a hundred than ever would have been back in 1997. In 1997, which I'm making sound like ancient times, like you were getting water via aqueduct. No, that's not all that long ago. But in 1997, let's just be real about it. If you were a hardcore recruiting fan, what was it, Forrest Davis? You were looking at parade magazines. You were getting your information totally different than you would have even 10 years later, much less now. Well, that means that you know more about kids. Scouts know more about kids. Everything you need to know is on the internet. And everything you need to see is on the internet. And so what I'm saying that for is 
I'm saying from a scouting and evaluation standpoint, guys are not missing on quarterback evaluations and rankings very much. If you have a bust or you have a kid who's underrated that goes on to shine from this point forward, it's probably either going to be because they physically developed later or it's going to be because of things outside of an evaluator's control happen. So, you know, if a kid's ranked five stars and he goes and, and mentally he's just not in it in college and gets in trouble and is not in the playbook like he needs to be, well, that's not on a physical evaluator. That's not on Steve Wiltfong or Andrew Ivins to see. I mean, they're, they're judging the player. It's largely a neck down thing. And you can sprinkle in some anecdotal neck up evidence But by and large, you rank a kid five stars and he doesn't pan out. Nine times out of 10, it's going to be because of something non-physical or if it's physical, it's injury. But the three-star kid that ends up going on to becoming a first-round NFL draft pick, that probably is going to be because he developed later. Fewer and fewer are going to be the examples of guys who were just overlooked because of how hard it is to be overlooked now. And the other thing I take away from it is because of all that exposure, all these dudes talk like they're 30. All of them. You, you cannot imagine if you could be around those guys all at the same time like I was this past week. And then you have to remind yourself they're 17, 16, 17, or in some cases 18 years old. It's mind boggling because you can think back to whatever you were like. I don't care if you're 20 now or you're 80 now. Think back to what your mentality was when you were 17 years old. It's nothing like them. They are nothing like you. They are nothing like I was if I was 17 years old. If you just took a temperature, if you put a thermometer in my brain at 17 and you saw what was bouncing around up there, you saw what I was focused on, what I was most concerned with, what I prioritized, it is not what Dylan Rayola or Julian Sayan are thinking about or prioritizing. That's a credit to parenting. It's a credit to coaching. And it's also a credit in a kind of weird way to the recruiting industry because of the added focus and emphasis that it's placed not only just on high school football players, but then even further on the quarterback position. Camps like Elite 11 have placed that emphasis on the quarterback position to the point where guys have matured. They just mature a whole lot quicker than they do. It's like the Tiger Woods effect, except for everyone. I'm not saying all of them are the Tiger Woods of football, but man, you listen to them talk. Those are not kids. Far from it. Oh, also, there's the thing that I got to observe again for the second year in a row, and that is Caleb Williams, who once upon a time was a high school quarterback. He is not anymore. He is the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. He will try and lead USC to the playoffs this year. Caleb Williams does some stuff with a football in his hand I have not seen anyone else do. Last year, we were out there. Okay, and he's just messing around in sweatpants. He's standing on the 50. And he's throwing balls and hitting the goalpost. Which in and of itself means you're throwing the ball 60 yards, but he's also hitting the goalpost. And he did it twice last year, and I watched it in person. There were no warm-up tries. Let's go 12 or 15 times. When we finally hit it, we'll just use that footage. There wasn't any of that. He did it again this year. I don't know. I'm telling you it's not luck. I'm telling you he's just that good. And then I watch him and Penix. Michael Penix was out there too, quarterback from Washington. When you see developed quarterbacks, when you see guys that have all the precision from all the high-level training built into everything about them mechanically, 
from the time they take a snap to the time the ball leaves their hand. It's wild. It's crazy to watch how accurate a high-level future first-round caliber quarterback is. Or, of course, if you're around NFL quarterbacks, when you watch them, there is like a car wreck going on around them. But if you ever get them in a controlled setting where they're just throwing against air and they're not worried about getting their head taken off, it's incredible. The accuracy is unbelievable. I wish I could take you guys on the field and let you watch that. The ball whistles when it leaves their hand and it goes exactly where they want it to every single time inside 50 yards. It's really incredible. So those were my takeaways from Elite 11. I know I was talking about Caleb Williams, man. Michael Penix is a really good-looking player. Michael Penix is a guy at Washington, also a left-hander. Some people thought he may test the NFL draft waters. Uh, He's going back to Washington for his senior year. They are loaded at quarterback in the Pac-12. It's going to be a good year out there. Okay, uh, by the way, um, man, I think it stuns people that we do shows this long in June. Not me, though. I smell poverty. What is that? Oh, it's just a Cole Kublik text during the show. I'll get to him later. Uh, Remember to like the video, please, and subscribe to the channel. As I said earlier, how are we going to get this thing to 200,000 subs by the time kickoff rolls around? I don't know the answer. You know the answer. So you tell me. How are we getting there? Got to get there somehow. (sighs) Gainesville, Florida, just on fire right now, but in a good way. You see, it changes like every other week. If I say that about Florida football, you think, oh, no, what happened now? As a matter of fact, the other night, the iJosh started lighting up. And I said, oh, no, because I know certain people only text me when it's about Florida. And like three of them were on my home screen. Oh, no. What is Billy taking a sabbatical? What happened? No, Billy's not taking a sabbatical. Uh, Billy has gone radical, actually, on the recruiting trail. So here's the thing about Billy Napier. Everyone keeps changing their mind on him, and you really just need to sit still. You need to CYT. If you don't know the acronym, I don't know. Ask one of your buddies. People just need to calm down on Billy Napier. I got folks calling this dude Broke Down Billy. I got folks calling him Blue Chip Billy. And it's the same person over a 48-hour period. Make up your mind on Billy Napier is my first request tonight. Secondly, do you have any idea what just happened down there? Gainesville, Florida the epicenter of the recruiting world this past weekend. And I got to read you, <laughs> I got to read you a message from one of our, one of our buddies over on the Swamp 24-7 message board. Quote, you got to explain the emotional roller coaster we just went through. Explain it to the masses. We were checking the Florida directory for Austin Simmons for the past three or four months. And then he had a visit. And then another company reported he's reclassifying and coming to Florida. And then he flips to Ole Miss. And then we land four top 250 players, including three in about 90 minutes. Tell our story. And be sure to call out Simmons' dad's quote and how charm and soft it was. By the way, we play Ole Miss next year. So that's how Florida's weekend went. Uh, For those of you who were living your lives and have no earthly idea what I just read, let me tell you. This weekend was an all-timer for Florida. So it starts on Saturday. I have like a a down-to-the-minute timeline the staff has provided me. So Saturday, they wake up. Let's just call it 11 a.m. Austin Simmons, a 2025 quarterback, has reclassified, not to 2024, but to 2023. That's right, friends. He skipped ahead two grades because apparently he graduated high school in like 15 minutes. 
that's its own conversation. And, oh, what's he doing? Is he enrolling at Florida? Is he going to challenge Graham Mertz? No, he also happened to flip to Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin puts out the Tom Petty tweets. Tom Petty won't back down is a very popular song to play in the swamp during Florida games. There's always a method behind Lane Kiffin's madness. Anyway, apparently Austin Simmons' dad, um, he, uh, he thought Florida likes DJ Lagway. He's the quarterback in this class for them. And he thought the schedule was going to be a little bit too tough. So, I mean, that's that. I don't have much of a commentary. If you think the schedule is going to be too tough, go to another conference. Oh, oh, no, Ole Miss is also in the SEC. Okay, well, never mind. Whatever, you do you. It's your constitutional right to declass or reclassify and go commit somewhere else. Anyway, so that was just week one, or that was just like hour one of most people's experience on Saturday. So you wake up on Saturday, the kid's reclassified on you, he flips to Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin's tweeting out the Tom Petty lyrics, and then comes 12, 17 p.m., Amir Jackson, four-star athlete, boom, commits to Florida. Amid the chaos, everybody's panicking down there, and Amir Jackson says, hold on, I'm coming on board. 7, 18 p.m., Amaris Williams, four-star defensive lineman, He's on board. 7.30 p.m., Nasser Johnson, four-star defensive lineman. He's on board. 9.43 p.m., Aaron Childs, four-star linebacker. He's on board. And the swamp goes wild, literally. So I had someone who shan't be named call Billy Napier, broke down Billy, and blue chip Billy, I kid you not, within the span of about 12 hours on the same day in the month of June. How does this happen? Florida, by the way, now has the eighth ranked class in the 24-7 sports team rankings for the 2024 cycle. That average player rating is above a 93. They're doing really well. Remember the old Meemaw adage, react at the speed of honey, not the speed of water. A lot of you need Meemaw when it comes to Billy Napier because a lot of your opinions are changing with the speed of water and you need to really investigate how fast honey moves. Honey moves, just not very fast. If your opinion on any head coach is changing half a dozen times between the months of January and June, they're not doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong. My approach on Billy Napier has been as follows. Liked what he did at Louisiana, gets hired at Florida, Feel fairly good about the hire, but there's always the unknown of how will someone transition from that level to this level. Year one was pretty bad. And then you had the whole Jaden Rashada thing at quarterback and the NIL fiasco and everyone's learning on the fly, including Billy Napier. I talked to people inside the program. No one's more methodical in their approach there than he is. That's his MO. A lot of people inside the industry know that. But if you're not providing immediate results, everyone just sells you down the river. Not everyone, but a lot of people. Uh, my approach has been, I'm just going to sit back and wait. Did the same thing with Mike Norvell. Look how that turned out. Doing the same thing with Cristobal. Look how that probably will turn out. Doing the same thing with Napier. And so I looked at this past weekend, and it didn't change my mind about anything. That was what a lot of you were asking me. Have you changed your mind on Billy Napier? I don't need to. I was never really down on him. I'm also not fantastically up on him. I certainly have a much bigger smile on my face if I'm a Florida fan after this past weekend. But 
ultimately we got to get it done on the field. And ultimately, you know, it's, it's like someone asked the other day in the what if section of the show, they said, what if Florida underachieves again this year and Miami wins nine games and Florida state wins the ACC? Well, we don't want to entertain that if we're a Florida fan, but we have to entertain if we're not one that it could happen. So all this stuff is still on the table is my point. I am the same way today about Napier as I was Thursday afternoon. I think he's the right hire. I have a lot of faith in his ability as a coach. I think they're navigating some tough waters right now. And if you give him time, I think he'll get it right. And then Saturday happened. And a lot of other people apparently changed their mind to the positive. And I was just like, no, that's the way you should have felt all along. Because if you don't feel that way right now, you should have just never felt that way. If you doubted him from the beginning, I'm fine with that. It's the people who believed in him when he was hired and have punted on him. That's what I don't get because you haven't seen enough. You haven't had enough time. Last time I was in the state of Florida, we did a live show from Miami and Good Greek Moving helped us do everything that we needed to do. And I have continued, because I gave them my word I would, to remind you that Good Greek Moving, if you need to relocate, which apparently someone in the Washington, D.C. area did in our audience this weekend, Good Greek Moving has you covered. A total relocation service. Look at that truck. That truck's awesome. And the truck that they moved us in is awesome, too. I don't know. I don't think a lot of you understand the chore of going from Fort Lauderdale, Florida to Coral Gables, Florida, in mid-afternoon traffic on I-95. It is a disaster. It takes about an hour and a half, and it's 30 miles. I drove it the other day. I should know. Luckily, I had good company in the car with me. Well, good Greek moving, they don't care about traffic. In fact, they are specifically here, so you don't have to care about it. They'll relocate you. They ensure the move. It is a total relocation effort, top to bottom. They've got you covered. T-R-U-S-T, trust. That is what they're built on, and that is what I have for them because we have used them and will again. So thank you to them. You can, you can tell I'm pretty grateful because there was a lot of concern down there that that show was not going to go off without a hitch. Okay, we have been spotlighting teams, and we need to spotlight Notre Dame tonight to close the show. How many questions do we have? Who's the breakout player this year? Where are the landmines on the schedule? What's the best position group? What do you need to know about Notre Dame? Well, here's my first question. This whole offensive coordinator promotion of Gerard Parker, this whole acquisition of Sam Hartman out of the portal at quarterback, is it going to work? Is the biggest question, not just one question. That's the biggest question. Because producer Jesse and I were combing through some numbers today. You know, if this pans out, Sam Hartman on paper is the best statistical player they will have had at quarterback since, dare we say, Brady Quinn? I have to say his name softly or else he'll hear us. Could happen. It could also be that he doesn't have many weapons to throw the ball to this year. That's a lazy take, according to Notre Dame fans. And I know what you would say in response. Hold on, I'll get to it. Last year, we watched Josh Gaddis go to Miami. And they failed offensively. Even with Tyler Van Dyke there, they failed offensively. And I always have that fear in the back of my mind. When we have a new offensive coordinator, even if there's a good quarterback, somehow it just doesn't mesh. So that's question number one. It's not that I doubt. It's that I have a question about it. Question number two. 
Where are the offensive weapons? Do they have enough? Now, some people would lead you to believe that they don't have any potential candidates, and I do not believe that. I just believe they were completely underutilized last year. So Jaden Thomas, for example, is a receiver that had 361 receiving yards last year. He's way better than that. Deion Colsey had 192 receiving yards last year. Uh, we've got Tobias Mayweather or Merriweather all the way down there, one touchdown, 41 receiving yards. Those dudes in the right offense are all 1,000-yard-plus receivers. They just weren't in the right offense last year. So let's see if they're in the right offense this year. And I could tell you stats like four of their top five pass catchers move on, including Michael Mayer, the big-time tight end. If you've got the right OC, if, if therefore you've got the right quarterback, it will be fine. They will have much better numbers than I'm showing you on your screen right now. Uh, it's a big if. That's why it's a question. Question number three, is this a rebuild defensively or is this a reload defensively? They've got a solid incoming freshman class and they'll need it because they've got pieces to replace here. And they will, I don't think it's a bold statement to say they will heavily depend on true freshmen or at the very least a bunch of underclassmen on all three levels of their defense, not just starters, but in the two deep. This is why they focused their recruiting effort on that side of the ball. They got really good players. It's just that a lot of them are going to have to play. So those are the three questions I have for Notre Dame. The best position group here, their offensive tackles are good, man. Uh, both of these guys are NFL guys. They've got depth. I could, go, I could go too deep on both of these positions, and they're set this year. Joe Alt at left tackle, first team All-American last year, 6'8", 315. Their right tackle, uh, Blake Fisher, 6'6", 310. Both of them started every game last year. Both of them have quality backups behind them that probably would start at many Power 5 outposts. So offensive tackle's great. Their center's good. Their offensive line should be really good this year. I mean, I guess you could ask questions about the guard position, but these are very, very first-world questions. Notre Dame's okay on the offensive line. The breakout player, I'm going to go right back to that receiver room. If we had to circle a name here, Tobias Mayweather, the receiver with one touchdown, the receiver with 41 total receiving yards, former four-star, he was the number 80 overall player in the 2022 cycle. He played in seven games last year. Very forgettable statistics. Uh, this spring, they were in love with him. A lot of folks around the program are in love with him. He's big. He's 6'4", 205. He is getting Sam Hartman at the perfect time. And Sam Hartman is getting him at the perfect time. So it could be any of those receivers. I'm just picking out him because we, we kind of like him. We kind of lean towards him a little bit. Their schedule is once again going to dispel one of the great myths in college football. And that myth is... Notre Dame never plays anyone. It's the dumbest thing people say. They aren't dumb for saying it. It's just smart people saying dumb things. Notre Dame always plays a tough schedule. They always do. It's always incorrect when people say they don't. Well, Josh, they play Navy. Yeah, they play Ohio State at Duke at Louisville and USC back to back to back to back too. Oh, they got a trip to Clemson in November as well. They play good teams every year. It's just that they're not in a conference. So they don't play a bunch of teams from the SEC or the Big Ten. That four-game stretch is going to determine their season, by the way. Ohio State is 9-23, so that's September 23rd. A lot of you probably wonder, why are you mentioning Duke? Uh, well, Duke's a good team with a really good quarterback. 
and they go on the road there the week after they play Ohio State. And Louisville, ditto, new coaching staff there, that's the second leg of a back-to-back road stretch, and that trip to Louisville is also in the look-ahead position because Notre Dame has USC coming to town the next week. You go 2-2 and against that and probably play really good football, or I guess I should invert that statement. You could play really good football and go 2-2 and in that stretch. You play questionable football, you go 1-3, and and all of a sudden, yep, there goes our season again. Their over-under win total is 8.5, and I think in large part it is due to that stretch as well as a November date at Clemson. Notre Dame, very unpredictable team this year. They're always a wild card when you're trying to make your little playoff picture because you forget about them because they're not in a conference, but they will be a factor there. And if they're not in it themselves, remember who I told you they play. They play Ohio State right in the thick of it. They play USC right in the thick of it. They go to Clemson in November right in the thick of it. Notre Dame's a team you got to be following. We appreciate you watching the show. Make sure you're subscribed. Subscriptions are the name of the game in the podcast world and in the YouTube world. Subscribe. That's it and that's all. Uh, normal week as far as I can tell this week. We'll have a late kick extra for you on Tuesday. We'll be back live here Thursday night. Until then, for Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, for Bradley the Associate, I'm Josh Bate. Take care. Have a great start to your week and God bless you.